Here is the game. One, two, three, I believe that the music I heard is a killer. It's a killer of hope. It's a killer of spirit. Hey everybody, I'm Rob. And I'm Joseph. Welcome to the September 1979 edition of Deep Dives and Deep Cuts, a history of punk, post-punk, new wave, 1976 to 1986. Yeah, this is actually part two. So September 1979, the month so nice, we're covering it twice. I was pretty excited about last last episode. I'm I am more excited about this episode. We were we were pretty deliberate about how we split up the titles between the two episodes. So tonight's batch really just is as strong um, as last time. I mean, if anything, it might even be a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like the highs are quite as high as last time, but the lows aren't as low um, either. So in fact, I don't think um, there really are any lows um, with this this batch of albums. I quite like all of them. Yeah, yeah, me too. I will say this. I've got a couple of longtime favorites in this set that mm. I am I'm pretty mm-hmm. stoked about. Pretty stoked. Speaking of, of longtime favorites, Rob, I can't imagine you're going to have any objections to kicking things off with a little Susie and the Banshees. Ooh, not at all. Let's do it. Okay, this is uh, a song called Playground Twist off of their second album. Well, I can tell you, Joseph, this song brings back all kinds of memories, and uh, I'm, I'm really, I don't know. I said I was stoked already, but I am. I am just excited <laughs> to hear every single bit of music. I love this playlist. I, I've been playing it all week. We will talk about this album in a couple of minutes. This, of course, is um, called Join Hands, the album, Mm -hmm. uh, the sophomore release from Susie and the Banshees. But first, a couple of points of business. I want to give everybody a heads up. We've got a little minor schedule change uh, moving forward. Up until now, we have been releasing the episodes on Sunday at 7 a.m. California time, so that's Pacific time. We are going to push that back a little bit in the day, uh, so it might be some sometime between 7 in the morning and 5 at night, 
um, <laughs> in on Sunday uh, Pacific time. And the reason why we're doing that is because mm-hmm. we did that very cool uh, crossover uh, set of episodes with Will. Yeah, and yeah, that was great. So, you know, I, I edit it for our podcast and then handed them over to Will. And then he has a much shorter format. So he really edited them down. And, and I just got a chance to listen to his version. Mm-hmm. Um, and boy, it sounds great. And he is he, he obviously puts a ton of time into editing um, his, his episodes, which has really inspired me. So as everybody knows, both Rob and I are working stiffs. So really the weekend is the time that I get to edit the podcast. And just depending on the week that I have, sometimes I don't even get a chance to start until like Friday night. So if I have a little extra time to make one more pass and really tighten things up and, you know, take out all the stuttering, stammering and the ums and the, the awkward silences and all that. Um, I think it'll be a lot uh, tighter and it'll be worth the potential delay. So officially moving forward, when we release on Sundays, it'll be, uh, sometime between 7 a.m. and 5 p.m. Uh, California time. So it kind of goes against my background as in magazine publication when it comes to hard deadlines, but I, I, I think it's going to be worth it. Yeah, sounds like it will. And the other point of business is the usual one. I just want to remind everybody that we are talking about music. Music is art, and there is nothing more subjective than art. Uh, this is a an opinion show, but we do try to be mindful not to get too opinionated because ultimately we are here to celebrate this extraordinary music that was created in a pretty unique period of time. Speaking of which, Professor Rob... What was going on in September 1979 of note? A lot of great stuff was going on, actually, in September of 1979. Uh, the number one U.S. hits were My Sharona by The Knack, Sad Eyes by Robert John. Um, let's see, some notable movies. Well, notable movie was When a Stranger Calls. Uh, TV debuts were ESPN's Sports Center. The show Benson, Buck Rogers in the 25th Century, Archie Bunker's Place, Trapper John, M.D., and then notable events. Well, ESPN debuted. Two families arrived in West Germany from communist East Germany in a hot air balloon. That must have been exciting. (laughs) U.S. Congress, their final approval to create Department of Education. Pope John Paul II became the first pope to visit Ireland. Well, there you have it. Wow. Uh, we are tackling the second half of September of, of 1979. Um, I guess we'll just... Anything else you want to touch base on before we jump into mm. um, uh, Join Hands by Susie and the Banshees? No, I say let's just jump in there. Let's join hands. <laughs> oh, okay, let's do it. So Susie and the Banshees' Join Hands was, of course, their second album. It was released, obviously, in September, September 7th of 1979. 
It was on Polydor Records. It, uh, it was produced by Niels Stevenson and Mike Stavro. It hit number 13 in the UK albums chart, and the big single on the album was Playground Twist, which we heard. Mm-hmm. Um, the album was inspired by the unrest that they saw in the news and uh, all the stuff that was going on in the streets of London. Um, it was very, I don't say politically motivated, but definitely politics were part of it. It really was just all the crap happening. And uh, so this album varied quite a bit in sound from their last album. Uh, you could tell the difference in the energy and in the production, almost like they chose to focus on the vocals and the story that they were telling as opposed to the music and getting, you know, just getting that sound out. Um, it is really one of my very favorite albums from Susie and the Banshees. And I, I think everybody here pretty much knows already that I'm, I'm a huge fan. I know Joseph, you're pretty aware of that. Um, mm-hmm. But at any rate, uh, this album was, was mostly well-received though it uh, it was the last album that guitarist John McKay and drummer Kenny Morris were on. They they left right after its release. So anyway, it, it it is again, it is a huge album and it was a really big step for Susie and the Banshees. I like this album a lot more than their debut album. Mm-hmm. I think this is a huge leap forward really. And I I liked the first one. Yeah. Um but this is this I mean they they just they're a lot more focused. Yeah, for um, sure. The energy is um I don't I don't know that I'd say that it's higher, but it is um not kind of all over the place. Um, and you know, it really holds together all the way through. I, I was reading some of the contemporary criticism, um, you know, uh, reviews and criticisms of this album when it Mm -hmm. first came out. And some people thought that it was kind of a step down in energy, but I didn't find that to be true at all. I think it was a little odd that, they put the the last two songs were in the positions that they were because that was the only place where it started to kind of drag for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but up until then, really compelling, very, very compelling stuff. Um, so when I went to pick my song, so I, I, I picked Playground Twist, but uh-huh. originally... I was going to, I was so excited because I thought I was going to be able to feature my very favorite um, Susie and the Banshees song, which is um, Love in a Void. Mm. And so I went and put it on and went like, oh, I better like double check to make sure it was on the original release. And of course <laughs> it wasn't. Right. right. However, <laughs> my my guarantee to everybody is that by the end of the season we will have heard that song. Yeah. I'm definitely looking for an opportunity yeah. to slip that in because because that and that is the most like straight ahead balls out punk song I've ever heard Susie and the Banshees mm-hmm. do. I'm not completely familiar with their entire catalog. And man, I think I would overall like 
them even more if they were a little bit more straight ahead punk and not mm. so much goth but that's just that's just me but um i i this is this is a really really good album uh, uh just a big improvement over the first one um i i'm really excited to see where they go from here I know that in a couple of albums we'll get to Juju, which mm -hmm. is my very favorite of the Su Susie and the Banshees albums. So, yeah, what a what a delight this well, album is. Yeah, it, it was definitely a transition album. You know, you could tell mm -hmm. that they were moving from kind of a more chaotic punk sound to something that was more uh, like. I think you said it when you said focused. They were more mm -hmm. focused. Everything was tighter. And even mm -hmm. the energy was more reined in and concentrated. Mm -hmm. But amazing. And and the 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 vocal control I oh, appreciated, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, I I mean later on down the road, uh Susie Sue will develop a very distinct style where it's intentional um intonation fluctuation mm -hmm. um but in the first album there was intonation issues that didn't sound like it was a stylistic choice it sounded <laughs> like she just didn't quite quite have control and she, she was just a baby at yeah, that point intonation intonation out of control on this album it seems like she's got that dialed in my my suspicion is that maybe you know the producer was a little bit more cognizant of that um as well but this is a really well produced uh but still not overproduced album yeah very true so what is uh what is your choice of songs from this album well, this is this is really funny because where you heard a song or you wanted to pick a song that you thought was on this and it turned not to be on this release, um, I picked a song that, it, well, it's one of my very favorite songs ever. And I think I've heard it on so many collections and so many that I almost forgot it was on this album altogether. Um, so, so I picked Premature Burial, which really is one of my very favorite Susie and the Banshee songs. That was Susie and the Banshees' second album, Join Hands. Uh, I I am definitely going to put this on my list. Uh, really, you think? I mean, I mean, <laughs> come on, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
my suspicion is it'll be on my list as well. Certainly in a position lower than it appears it will appear on your list. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to Per Ubu's third album and uh, a, a release called New Picnic Time. Um, so, <laughs> Rob, when we first started talking about Per Ubu, I expressed concern. Mm-hmm. about uh at some point it would the pair their their stick was gonna get old start getting old and a little long in the tooth mm-hmm. and uh, I think this is where that starts I mean it's still pair ubu um it it's got a lot of really interesting things going on yeah yeah um but for me, particularly their first album the the reason it it made my top 10 list for for that year it was because of this just um sort of it was a small miracle of of tightrope walking you know of being totally out there and chaotic but yet really focused and compelling at the same time and you know, at the time, I mentioned that it was it was the lead vocalist, um, just super astute performance that tied the songs together, and that is not happening for me on this album. <laughs> this is this is a pretty chaotic album. It sounds like it almost sounds like they and I'm not suggesting this is what they actually did, but it sounds like maybe they like put each band member in an isolation booth where they could see each other, but not really hear each other. <laughs> and then they just yeah. recorded. <laughs> right. Because that that could this, very well. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's just very, very chaotic to me. Yeah. And so I want to play the song that you picked because I think this is like um, exhibit A of the the, the chaos um, is interesting and the energy is, is pretty high and pretty compelling, but it is it is too chaotic for me. What, did, what, what, what song did you pick? Uh, I picked One Last Word. I want to start by saying that this is probably my favorite song on the album, um, <laughs> but I'm not crazy about the album. I uh, I find it uh-huh. to be I find it to be really cartoony. Now, I do find it interesting. Okay, I do find it 
fascinating in an artistic uh from an artistic standpoint um yeah but but i i it feels cartoony to me it's kind of goofy and very experimental um i gotta hand it to periubu though this is this is definitely performance art and uh you know uh, i mean go 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 pair ubu for for performance art <laughs> but um yeah i i it's it's just not my thing unfortunately yeah i you know uh this is i i think we're probably on the same page when i say that uh of the three albums of theirs this is the least compelling one mm-hmm. uh, would would you yeah would you agree no absolutely and I, I was actually thinking about this, like what is what is the difference between this and the first two albums? And it's almost like what they do when it's working is is such a tightrope act um, to get it exactly right. The the chaos, but yet not being completely alienating to, you know, innocent bystanders ears like uh-huh. mine and yours. And I think it's sort of like to pull that kind of music off is to be like a top-notch, like elite athlete where to, to, to continue to win, you, you just have to be at the very top of your game, completely focused and get everything right all of the time, uh, as opposed to when you're doing kind of nice poppier stuff you've got a little bit of elbow room to maybe not get it exactly right and not lose your audience and it just it feels a little lazier than the first two albums uh, maybe Uh. a little bit more rushed Uh, but there are some really nice um fun engaging moments on this and the the song that i picked um 49 guitars and one girl which is an excellent song title um is this is where it's working the most for me and i think would actually have fit onto the one of their first two albums uh, really nicely. Now, this song sounds like Periubu's having a whole lot of fun. <laughs> I, I mean, it really does. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with having a whole lot of fun while you're making music. I think that's part of it, right? But it just yeah. sounds like that's all they're doing right now is having a whole lot of fun. Well, and this is, this is I mean, I, I think the two songs that we picked are kind of 
excellent juxtapositions uh, uh-huh. because this doesn't sound to me like they're in their own isolation booth and only kind of half aware of what the rest of the team is doing here. The vocals are really playing off of the rhythm and the guitar and all of that, which is, you know, when that happens, that's to me, that's peak pair Ubu. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So that is pair Ubu's third release called new picnic time. It is not in consideration for um, my list and obviously not your list. Nah. Um, I would say that if you've checked out their first two albums and it's you've determined that they're not for you, this is n- not going to be the album that wins you over. <laughs> but but if you are a big pair of Ubu fan, then you're already aware of it. Um, so it I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked if this appears on somebody's list. Uh, but I, I I don't consider it a, a serious contender. Yeah, I'm afraid not. Sorry, pair Ubu. Moving on, we have Iggy Pop's uh, his third studio album, New Values. Of course, Iggy Pop is one of my favorite guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you're aware of that, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I was really jazzed to to mm-hmm. get to hear some more Iggy Pop. I mean, we did I what are you, we did what I think was a really good a good show on Iggy Pop, and uh, just to be able to hear some of that again and, and dip into Iggy is, is pretty, pretty exciting for me. So mm-hmm. new values, um, was it, oh, now before you, before yeah, you get into ahead. that, can I just make a note, uh, yeah. sort of editorial note? Yeah. I think we goofed on this one. I think it was actually released in April of 1999. I have, yeah, I have that information yeah. as well. So, um, I, I found two different places that, that had two two different dates, but um, diving into it more, I'm pretty sure it was released in April. Yeah. I, I don't think it's of much consequence, um, just yeah. in the grand scheme of things. But before uh, before Tony calls us out, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll definitely I'll definitely open up to that. Sure enough. <laughs> so yeah, it it, it looks like it might have come out. April of 1979, which means we missed it uh, <laughs> back in back in April. But but that's okay because we didn't miss it completely. We're we're back mm-hmm. in on track. Uh, it was on Arista Records and uh, produced by James James Williamson, who hadn't worked with Iggy Pop since Kill City. Uh, also noticeable about this is uh, New Values has this is an album with no collaboration with David Bowie. Um, so and the, that was the, uh, his the first of his solo albums uh yeah yeah mm-hmm. um critics gave it a lot of praise but uh, new values really wasn't successful commercially it only reached 180 in the u.s's billboard 200 so um it should be said that frank black of the pixies calls new values one of his favorite albums um, where it is, of course, my fourth favorite album uh, by Iggy Pop. <laughs> so, um, I I love this this Iggy Pop. I love this album. I think it's it's really 
I don't know. To me, it really plays to kind of what he's thinking about and what's what's going on, uh, how he sees, I think, how he sees society, how he sees people. Um, mm -hmm. And I think some of that comes out in probably the song I picked. But but I, I really enjoy this album. I think it's I think it's great. Yeah, as you mentioned, um, we we dedicated a whole episode to um, the first, uh, I don't know, eight or nine of his mm -hmm. albums. So, right. so we covered this album um, in the Iggy Pop Deep Dive, at, uh, at which time we heard the songs Endless Sea and Don't Look Down. Mm -hmm. um, this is one of my favorite Iggy Pop albums as well. Um, don't like them quite as much as I like the um, David Bowie produced stuff. But my, you know, my big takeaway from that whole Iggy Pop deep dive was that an Iggy Pop album really kind of lives or dies by the producer. Um, which kind of surprises me because this is very well produced, but I did not care for the album um, that he did with Williamson, um, Kill City. Kill City. Yeah. At all. Yeah. Uh, but here, I guess Williamson's role is just as producer, and it is working. I mean, I, I think they... The highs are very high. Some of my very favorite Iggy Pop stuff is on here, and the lows are really low. Yeah. Um, and yeah. So 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 this is this is a a just like just practically all of Iggy Pop's albums. It's a weird album. It's not his weirdest. Uh huh. That's true. <laughs> you know, we you mentioned uh, Williamson just doing. Uh, pr production he actually played guitar on don't look down um oh, but that was it uh -huh. the rest of it uh -huh. was him just producing yeah yeah so what song did you pick uh i i picked five foot one and for me it's it, it's kind of a funny it's kind of a funny song um until you start thinking about the fact that he's five foot one and this is how people see him so <laughs> at any rate i love this song i'm only five foot one i got a pain in my neck i'm looking up in the city what the hell what the heck i stare at the concrete the girders rise high the steel's above me there's love in my eyes First off, I was not aware that Iggy Pop was five foot one, um, so that I will have to go back and listen to this song again with that knowledge. And um, but I, I just wanted to note the late seventies, 
not a great time to be a short person. I mean, between <laughs> between Iggy Pop and Randy Newman, man, short people well, are not I, getting any love. <laughs> I am. I don't quote me on the five foot one. He he's not very tall though. He is he is not uh, very tall. But but you're right. Uh, it's boy, a- and they sang about it, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. Iggy Pop's third album, New Values, is definitely going to make it on at least my top 10 list. Um, And uh, Joseph, I figure probably not so much for you, or maybe eh, there's a lot out there. Not not even close. I didn't think Um, so. And I don't think that an Iggy Pop album has made the final list. so far yeah 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 so yeah really it'll it'll be interesting to see if we get if we get votes for this as well yeah great moving on to the next album it's kind of interesting because uh august september super strong lots of output but really it's mostly like punk post-punk there's Mm -hmm. really uh the you know looking back um last episode the the only like flat out new wave album that I could I that I can think of off the top of my head was the Gary Newman release and uh same here we we have only just one album that is like synthesizer new wave you know right right that is Sparks album entitled Number 1 in Heaven this is their eighth album Eighth release, uh, and the third one that we have covered in this podcast, um, way different than (laughs) anything that we've heard from them. So different. Yeah, yeah. So they, um, I am absolutely not going to pronounce his name properly. Um, So maybe, Rob, you can help me with this. But this was produced by uh, Giorgio... Maroder, who is kind of like the father, uh, often referred to as the father of disco. So he is kind of the mastermind between uh, behind a lot of like Donna Summer's uh, big hits, Mm, um, and and has a very distinct sound to to it. So it was it was an interesting choice for Sparks. and I am curious how you feel about this, Rob. <laughs> My sense is that you probably are not a big fan of this album. Yeah, I am not really crazy about this album, unfortunately. Um, I, uh, I, I don't know. It, it, it's to me, it's just not my my kind of sound, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I I've liked some sparks. Trust me, it's it's mm-hmm. they're good. I like enjoyed their mm-hmm. stuff. But this to me was just so different than everything else that I've been into. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So I had a hard time with it. Well, it is a short album. Yeah, six seven songs on it. Yeah, I think there's I think um, there's six songs. And if you are curious about whether or not you might like this album. Um, I will just say one thing, one description, and you'll have a pretty good sense uh, about whether or not it's for you or not. Um, 
I would describe this as a pretty good Pet Shop Boys album. <laughs> That's exactly why I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, I mean, so that is of note in itself. This is, of course, what, uh, six years before Pet Shop Boys will release anything. So this album um, was pretty big in Europe, uh, especially in the UK. Um, uh, the songs, um, number one song in heaven and beat the clock were both, uh, pretty sizable hits, not here in the U S uh, sparks really have never gotten much love here, here in the United States. And at the time it got really bad reviews. Mm, yeah. Wow. <laughs> but but it's it's funny because when you go and you look at um newer reviews, uh more, you know, reviews that are are looking back and reexamining it, um they're much better and the the reasoning for the good reviews is exactly opposite of the bad reviews. So the the more the more recent retrospective reviews call it way ahead of its time. You know, looking at like Pet Shop Boys and bands like that. Uh. But at the time, the contemporary reviews, it got bad reviews because they were criticizing it for being Behind the times, we're going. You're going. Disco's dead. You're going to this disco producer, and you're trying to do disco now. What? Yeah. I kind of like this album. Um, I think that it is a good thing that it's a short album. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's disco done with a post-punk new wave angle to it which is you know very near and dear to my heart that's that's your thing that's true the song that i picked off of this album is a song called tryouts for the human race said that I'm not crazy about this album uh, but I I like this song for the most part um, even though it's it's a bit too disco disco-y for me um, there's some really great synth in there mm-hmm. and uh, and yeah I, 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 I kind of enjoyed this it's a good tune yeah yeah so that is Sparks eighth album called number one in heaven and um it's not in consideration for my top 10 and obviously not yours. Yeah. Um, but I think I would be a little surprised if it didn't show up on, 
um, at least one listener's uh, mm-hmm. list. Uh, I think that the the people that love this kind of music, are, you know, this is a good example and one of the first examples of this type of like disco new wave post punk thing. <laughs> All right. Well, we're gonna move on to we're gonna move on to the Ruts album, The Crack. Uh, it was released September 29th on Virgin Records, and uh, they produced it along with uh, uh, Mick Glossop, who produced like Frank Zappa, Magazine, PIL, Penetration, um, and uh, also worked with Joy Division and The Cure, bands like that. So uh, sounds like the producer for this album is is pretty keen. Um, this was their first album, of course, and it featured... A handful of singles, uh, including Babylon's Burning, Something That I Said, and a song called Ja, ja War. Um, I like this album a lot. It, uh, I mean, it's it kind of feels like a rock album. It, for the most part, there's there's some reggae going on in there, but uh, it it doesn't feel very much like like punk or new wave or or even post punk. It, it definitely feels like a rock album. Um, and and at the same time, you can tell these guys came out of punk rock leanings. You know, mm-hmm. there's this this politically fueled songwriting. Um, there's this killer, super fast drumming. Um, but I and I do think, in my opinion, I think it's a super cool album overall. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about it? Well, I'm going to push back on the idea that this is not a punk album. Um, I I feel like a lot of these songs are pretty straightforward punk. The thing is, it is not produced like a punk album. Yeah, there you go. So what was noticeable to me particularly was how they managed the guitars because the, the, the guitars are... I I wonder how these songs sounded when they played played them live mm-hmm. because I don't uh, some of the gu- guitar sounds that they have um the approach is more like like what like Foreigner and and Def Leppard were doing in the studio around this time mm-hmm. and um and it's it just I think it's interesting and, and kind of compelling and makes it kind of stand out um, the the production choices, but I'm not sure that they'll they would be able to get those sounds in a on during a live performance. So I, th- I yeah. thought that was kind of interesting. Um, <clears throat> you know, when you go, were you familiar with the Ruts? No, not at all. Okay. So I was familiar with them uh, because of one song that appeared on a compilation that I had, which was a song actually called In a Rut, uh-huh. which was um, one of their earliest singles and really a very, very straightforward punk song, um, kind of like in the vein of like The Saints I'm Stranded or oh, yeah. so- something of that nature. And but when you go and you read about the ruts, they're quite often referred to as, you know, um, uh, a punk band with strong reggae leanings. Hmm. And 
that may be true, but you hardly hear that on this album. I mean, yeah. there is there is one song, one song. <laughs> where they definitely like sat down and went, let's do a reggae song. Yeah. Um, so knowing what I know now, I anticipate follow-up releases will um, find them going more into, um, you know, like reggae-based post-punk. Yeah, uh, which, I see that. Which I, th- I, th- I think could be really interesting. Um, I am not in love with this album. I think it is pretty solid. I, I don't... I do not care for the vocalist. He's uh, just his. It, there's nothing fundamentally wrong with his voice. It's just not the kind of voice that I find compelling. Yeah. And the um, the content on this album is very political, very social, yeah, very is. political. <laughs> and it's interesting because last episode we were talking about Gang of Four. And I was just raving about how I loved their like heavy, um, you know, political and social commentary leanings. Uh But here I find it off-putting and I've been trying to like put my finger on what the difference is. And I'm not sure that I can tell you, articulate why... It's totally working with Gang of Four for me, but not for this album. Other than to say that I feel like um, Gang of Four approaches it with um, their subject matter with a lot more wit and intelligence. And Mm -hmm. I feel like the messaging, the lyrics here uh, um, on the crack are... Uh, clunkier and more obvious. Yeah. The first song that we're going to hear is is a song called Dope for Guns. So this is this is very like messaging the songs are blunt instruments, right? Yeah. Um yeah. and a little too obvious for me, but um but I, I really do like the music and I, I find the the production choices to be interesting, but kind of working. The loose baby headlines got it wrong. They tried to tell us the dope was too strong, but it ain't dope. The threat is you. The solid dope for guns, that's the truth. Dope for guns, it ain't fun. Put you on your knees for the Lebanese. Whichever way you bleed, So Dope for Guns was my pick, and I think the thing I like most about this song is is uh, the relationship with the instruments. <laughs> um, it, I, I feel like they have a really good relationship with each other. Now these guys, as you mentioned, or we, we are we talked about the reggae. I feel that this song actually has a little kind of feel of reggae uh, inspiration. You know, it, it's got a touch of reggae in it. Um, and I'll say that. What song are you listening to? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I feel it. I I, I definitely okay. feel it in there with with I, with the beats and the. I mean, I I I don't think it sounds like a reggae song, but I could. I, I have this this, you know, and it might even come from the fact that I had the knowledge that they were really into reggae. But um, 
I kind of I kind of feel like you know there might be some some reggae inspiration, and uh, maybe it's a, a sign of things to come. But but as far as reggae, it it's not a reggae song. Yeah. Jaw War is definitely the reggae yeah. song. Yeah. Well, I challenge you to find an ounce of reggae in my pick. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that is a song called Savage Circle. Um, this feels pretty hardcore punk to me. In fact, this feels like a pretty good Red Hot Chili Pepper song. Uh huh. I'm I'm into Savage Circle. I like mm-hmm. this song a lot. Um, it's much faster than the song I picked, um, and it it there's definitely some punk. It still feels like a rock song to me, but uh, and and yeah, I can see the the Chili Peppers vibe there. Absolutely, absolutely. So that's the Ruts album, their debut album, The Crack. I'm going to have to say that I'm not going to put this on my list. I mean, I I enjoyed this album, but yeah, it's it's not what I was looking for in a punk or a new wave album, and uh, and there's a lot of good music out there still to come. So, yeah. I am yeah. looking forward to upcoming releases. I I think that I might find them much more compelling when they because the one of the highlights of the album was the this pretty straight flat out reggae song, mm-hmm. um, and in it his his vocals are a little bit more laid back which is a good thing for me um so yeah this is this is a uh, a pretty good album uh not one that i'm going to come back to a lot but i'm very curious to hear um what what they're going to come out with next sure sure enough well, I am so happy to say that we are going to move on to talk about The Strangler's fourth album, an album called The Raven. Uh, we, of course, spent a fair amount of time talking about this album when we did our deep dive on The Stranglers, at which time we listened to uh, Bear Cage and Dead Los Angeles, and actually in the favorite new wave bands um, episode, the very first Strangler song that, that we heard was um, off of this album called Nuclear Device. That was the, that was the first song that I ever heard of the Stranglers. Oh, wow. Um, they had a pretty big hit in, in England um, with a song called Duchess, which is um, a very mellow kind of lovely little pop song. And if memory serves me correctly, during our deep dive, we only really looked at their first 10 releases with the original lineup. And this was your least favorite of (laughs) the Stranglers albums. And I'm wondering if you've warmed up to it any. 
That's actually a very good question. You know, I listed it as number 10, and I uh, honestly have gained some new appreciation for this album. Um, I remember one of our listeners was like, they are just not getting it, you know. Um, <laughs> not just one of the listeners. There were yeah. several specifically pushed back on this yeah, album. on this album. And, and I still shook my head at that point because, mm. you know, how I feel is how I feel. But listening to it more and sitting with it, really just this album, um, I, I really have gained some appreciation for it. Mm. So, so... Yeah, it's I don't know. It's it's a cool it it's a cool album. Um it's not my favorite still, but yeah. uh but you know, I do definitely like it a little bit more than I used to. Yeah, you know, it was it was pretty fun after we released that deep dive episode. Um there was a couple, well, one for sure, strangler like fan forums where mm one of the you know there was a post that actually discussed our episode and had put a link to it so we got some feedback from people who who were hardcore stranglers fans in the UK yeah and that was that was uh, very enlightening to me it was. so yeah, yeah. i i had no idea that this album which is a weird album of of all of the weird albums that the Stranglers uh, produced, and there were a lot of them, this is probably their their oddest one and their most uneven one. Uh, I was I was very surprised to hear that in the UK for serious Stranglers fans, this is one of the the most revered of of their albums. Yeah, that's um, interesting. It is. It is a strange album, but it's my kind of strange. Uh, you know, their their last album, Black and White, just barely made my top 10 uh, list for 1978. And you could, you could feel them easing into where they're going to from that album to this one. And my favorite parts of this album... Like, uh, so the song that we listened to during the deep dive that was my pick was Dead Los Angeles. And then the song we're about to hear, another pick of mine is Ice. And I love the, um, when they're, when they're doing this. So you're familiar with the, the term arrhythmic, right? So a sure. song that doesn't have a specific rhythm. Right, uh, right. I don't think I'm coining the phrase, but I've never heard it before. Um, a melodic, and it seems like they are very intentionally tr experimenting with creating a melodic pop songs. Um, so the um, the last song off of um, Black and White was really the first time that they they seemed to really dive into that approach and then on this album it is it comes up again and again this idea of it's a pop song but there's not really anything melodic going on and the 
the the vocal parts and the the um, you know every instrument is kind of very intentionally in parts not there's no melody or anything it's just mm -hmm. sort of this like tinkering up and down type sound and then it'll break into something that's very melodic and i think that uh the song ice is an excellent example of that so when we start in it'll be a um a very kind of lilting melodic instrumental piece and then suddenly it'll just jump into this pretty jarring um a melodic uh section which i it took me a long time to warm up to but this is some of my very favorite strangers. Totally see what you're saying. It's, it, however, it's, it's this is not my favorite song. Let me say I, I don't, I don't really. In fact, I don't really care for that. I mean, I guess it's just something that I'm not. It just doesn't sit right with me. You know, I don't, I don't know what to say other than that. It, I, I felt like I was listening to the soundtrack to Donkey Kong or something. It, it, they're playing with, with, you know, they're playing with new technology. That's all great, but it, it just sounded like a like a video game <laughs> I, i'm telling you it's my kind of weird you know ah, no my, i and i i respect that totally and and my choice uh dead los angeles off of this album when we did the deep dive mm -hmm. was um commented on a couple of times by longtime strangler fans so i i totally acknowledge that you know um my love for the stranglers a lot of the strangler stuff i'm latching on to some of the some of the elements that maybe most people don't you know isn't isn't their favorite stuff yeah but yeah, it's sure. totally working for me yeah totally well, working it, it's often fun it's often fun to be you know to, to be totally different or, or you know when you find something you like it's really cool that that you're amongst I mean, you're unique in that. I, I enjoy that. Well, I developed my love for the Stranglers in a vacuum because I didn't, I didn't have, I didn't know anybody who was familiar with the yeah. Stranglers at the time. Yeah, yeah. So I just like, I didn't know what was good Stranglers and bad Stranglers. I just kind of like absorbed it all, and you know, this is, this is what I've evolved into. Best so, way to do it. <laughs> So that is the Stranglers' fourth album um, called The Raven. It is probably 
hopefully just barely going to make my top 10 list. And my suspicion is that we're going to get a repeat of last year where it makes my list and nobody else's. <laughs> so we're moving on to one of my favorite bands, and that is Wire. Wire's mm-hmm. album, there's, boy, this is uh, their album 154, or is it 154, 154, 154? I, I don't know. Um, uh, all of the above. Okay, but I do know that it's my sev- seventh favorite Wire album. <laughs> I, I love a lot of their stuff, I'll tell you that. Um, it's their their third album, and it's on EMI's Harvest Records. Um, and it was produced by Mike Thorne, who produced Nina Hagen and John Cale, Soft Cell. Um, now, it peaked at number 39 on the UK album charts, and, well... Pitchfork listed it as their 85th best album of the 1970s. Mm-hmm. So this album, it got some high marks all over by critics. It is definitely a transition for them yet again. This is, uh, it's like they're heading into new territory with this album, and they've already done that. You know, The band broke up, of course, after 154 temporarily because they did get back together and make a lot of really great music but how do you feel about this album joseph well for many 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 years well for my entire wire listening career up until we started doing this podcast this was my very favorite wire Uh album Uh it was not the first one that i owned but it was the first of the original trilogy yeah um and i am waiting for the day where this album clicks for you because this just Mm -hmm. this uh, i was so certain that this would be your favorite wire album because it is it is their moodiest it is their um, storytelling album mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, it's not it's not particularly gothy but it's it's got that same sort of energy to it um, but definitely yeah it has that yeah. it definitely has that atmosphere that mood to it when we were doing the deep dive on wire um, I kind of cooled a little bit on this album and I think it was because it's just I wouldn't recommend listening to Chairs Missing and then listening to this one right. because the energy <laughs> just like really drops. Yeah, but when yeah, yeah. you listen to it in a vacuum, um, as far as maybe you've just listened to the Sparks album and then you listen to this album, I, I have renewed my love for this album. I, I still, I think I slightly prefer Chairs Missing, but... Um, there, I I love every single song off of off of this album. It is their storytelling album. It is a um, a moody, drifty, trippy, dream like fugue kind of an album. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know it's funny because when you when you use the word uh, the term guitar virtuoso right uh uh-huh. it's a you you think of a certain thing as far as like oh super fast finger work and you know 
all these super fast scales and da 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 da. I I find that there is a a lot of what I would call um, virtuoso guitar playing, but it's just like them hanging out on one note or one or two <laughs> notes and getting these incredible sonics. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. it's like the 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 there's just one or two notes from from the guitar just kind of like hang there for the longest time and just create this whole world for you. I mean, when I was listening to this album earlier this week for the first time, I was wondering like, were they thinking about Led Zeppelin when they made some of their choices? Because <laughs> there there is sort of like this whole like, super drenched in reverb, spacey, heavy yeah, guitar that's for sure. lines going on um, that, that oddly enough made me kind of think of Led Zeppelin. Uh. Um, so I, um, I love, love the, this album. I've renewed my love for it. I think I would take it over um, uh, Pink Flag. Oh, okay. So we have already heard a couple of songs off of this album during the deep dive. We listened to a song called I Should Have Known Better and another song called Single K.O. Um, but it's Wire, so we're definitely got to listen to a couple more songs. Yeah. Uh, what is your pick for tonight? I, I picked Touching Display. Suffering in silence, our eyes give it away. So close as we part, touching display, coloring my thoughts, predominantly gray and fighting bravely. Oh, will she save me from what? Oh, who? I do not. display has this this long intro and there's something kind of powerful going on in here really i mean the the music is is kind of heavy and dark and and his vocals are pretty dreary so this is exactly what you're talking about as far as like you're surprised why i don't like it you pretty much described every song on this album. <laughs> it's true. No, I have. I have. And you know that is my style. That is yeah, the stuff yeah. I really like. It's uh, it's so it's my kind of song. So I'm I am going to be open to the fact that this will kind of climb up my my chart as far as my favorite Wire albums. Uh, um, still like Pink Flag a lot, um, but this one is. It's pretty damn good. So we'll see how it goes. It's at number seven, or it was at number seven. I'm just going to have to go back and listen to their entire album set and see what happens. 
So, how about you? Well, let's listen to my pick. Yeah. Uh, that is a song called Indirect Inquiries. You gain respect as we pass. Not a wave, just your wing. I was forced to think. I couldn't ignore. I've seen you before. Joking aside, face to face, it's the one I can place. A hit man in larger imprint. I think I'm at a taste of a secret denial. Wires, a third album called 154, and their final album uh, before their initial breakup. Yeah. Wire has in the past um, released two albums, which have both made our top 10, final top 10 lists. Mm -hmm. um, there's, a, there's a bit of a quite, and in fact, a Chairs Missing was number two overall. Yeah. Um, this is a little bit more of a question mark. Um, I suspect it'll be on my top ten list. Uh, I certainly hope so. But I don't. I don't know. I think that it's sort of like spaciness. I mean, it's not quite the right word, but but that whole feel. I think loses a lot of people who really like latched on to to um, Pink Flag mm -hmm. and that that spiky, punky, um, choppy thing that they yeah, were yeah. doing. It is not here. <laughs> All right, we've got um, one more full like regular studio album to discuss. And that is Penetration's uh, follow-up album called Coming Up for Air. And this was, this album was not successful uh, as far as reception and um, sales. And so the band uh, broke up. Uh, not too long after this album was released. And I have a complicated relationship with Penetration, um, uh -huh. as you know, Rob. Um, so I, I want to alley-oop this to you, and, and let's talk about your feelings about this album before I try and kind of unwrap where I'm at with it. Yeah. Well, um, I'll be honest, it's... I had a hard time getting into it. Um, to me, it felt almost canned. It felt kind of flat and kind of, um, I mean, it, you know, you listen to it and it, the energy should be there. The, the sound should be there. It's like, why am I not liking this? And it just sounded like it was, it just felt produced. I don't know if that, if that makes mm -hmm. sense to you. It just felt so produced that, that I could not, I could, I just could not like it. Um, you know, it, 
if you look at all the elements, it's got all the elements I, I enjoy. Um, but I just felt overall that it was it was so flat and so produced that yeah I couldn't just couldn't handle it. <laughs> so so. Uh, do you prefer their debut to this? Um, I I yeah I'm I'm gonna have, definitely say that I prefer their debut to this. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Well, I um I'm opposite of you. Mm-hmm. I actually. Mm-hmm think that this is a step forward for them uh, because it is more focused. It's mm-hmm. not as like all over the place and confusing in tone and approach. I totally agree with you uh, um, mm-hmm. on the, the point about being overproduced. I, I think that they they go a little bit overboard on like the studio effects yeah. um, in ways that are, are not necessary. But um, this is a cleaner, more focused, poppier album, which That's I like. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they still sound too far ahead of their time. I mean, if, if this album was released in 1988 or 89, right, um, right. I think that they, they would have um, been embraced. But it, it is, it is, this is a band out of time for me, yeah. um, which makes them <laughs> yeah. kind of brilliant, but still not terribly appealing or enjoyable to listen to, oddly yeah. enough. So, yeah, yeah. As, as I said, very complex feelings I, I have. I have yeah, for sure. Band. So let's listen to your pick first. Um, okay. You picked a song called On Reflection, right? Yeah, I did. Don't say I'm sorry now. You know it's too late to There is an improvement in the songwriting, um, both in just pure craftsmanship, but also in um, the kind of, there's still too much going on in a lot of these songs, but Mm -hmm. it is a little bit more straightforward and simplified from their first album, which was very confusing to me. Exciting, but confusing. Cha- chaotic as hell. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so there were there were a number of contenders for, for my pick. I, th- I thought there were um, actually the moments that I gravitated to on this album were, were kind of, they're more poppy. Um, fair, which surprised me. Uh, and one of those songs is a song called um, She is the Slave. Like a a distance that shattered. 
I like the lyrics. I like the uh, it's it's um, there's some poppy choices which I think are kind of interesting. Once again, a little overproduced. Some studio effects that are probably not necessary, but still, um, I find it a fairly compelling album. So that is Penetration's um, second and final studio release uh, called Coming Up for Air. Uh, I would be really surprised if it shows up on <laughs> anyone's list. Yeah. But, no, but it's still a pretty good album. I enjoy yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. So we are going to talk about one more album that was released. And um, we are breaking our rules because we typically only talk about studio releases with or, uh, new original material. Um, but we have to talk about uh, the Buzzcocks album called uh, Singles Going Steady. This is a compilation, but if you were a punk fan in the United States in the 70s or 80s, you were probably yeah. not aware of that because yeah. it, it was actually the first album that was of, of the Buzzcocks that was released in the United States. And then um, most of the songs, not all of the songs, but most of the songs um, were singles, songs off um, singles that were released in Europe and not in, in the United States. I want to make it very, very, very clear. This is not eligible for top 10 lists. So, um, because we got to stick to our, our own rules in the, in the areas that really matter. So uh, we are discussing this as a bonus because it just seems wrong to talk about September of 1979 and not discuss this album. Um, this is Rolling Stone's 11th um, greatest punk album and 250th greatest album of all time. Pitchfork thinks it's the 16th best album of the 70s. Wow. Wow. Yeah. 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 Um, we have heard... Uh, a couple of songs off of this as um, as well. We have heard What Do You Know and Something's Gone Wrong Again. And we are going to listen to another song off of this album. What song did you pick off of Singles Going Steady? I picked What Do I Get? I just want to love like any other What do I get? I only want to bend the state to the end What do I get? What do I get? Oh, what do I get? What do I get? Oh, what do I get? I'm in distress. I think What Do I Get is just a great Buzzcocks tune. Um, you know, you talked about how this is the first album in uh, in the U.S. that, that punk fans listen to it's definitely the first buzzcocks album i ever heard and and i didn't hear it in 79 i heard it much later unfortunately mm -hmm. but it, it was definitely the first one i was exposed to and uh given the fact that it's all singles it's pretty good stuff all across the board so yeah 
That, my friends, is September of 1979. Next month, we're going to tackle October. October was another monster month, so Mm -hmm. we have to split it up in two again. So once again, no uh, deep dives for next month. Uh, We get an opportunity. We haven't been able to do this in a while. We're going to go out on a mystery song. So I'm we we are going to pick a song off of one of the more obscure albums that we will be featuring next um, episode, uh, just to see if anyone um, can identify the band. So keep your uh, ears open for that. Um, I always have a lot of fun when we do that. You will hear from us again. The first Sunday of next month and um, we will talk to you then see ya The albums that we'll be covering from October 1979 are The Adverts, Cast of Thousands, The Police with Regatta de Blanc, Joe Jackson's I'm the Man, The Falls, Dragnet, and Blondie's Eat to the Beat. The Reds' debut album, entitled The Reds. The Taurus sophomore album called Reality Effect Midnight Oil's Head Injuries and Skids with an album called Days in Europa No way.